For May 2nd, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 722. When it's bad, it's awful. When it's good, it's so good. Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are moving quickly from one place to another, when we are feeling the wind in our hair uh, as we just zoom, uh, as we transport ourselves, our families, ourselves, uh, our families, ourselves quickly, uh, around. I'm, I'm Matt Rather. My, uh, vehicle of choice is a Triumph motorcycle. I am here with my good friend Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hello. Hello. Um, I guess I could say yeah. my vehicle of choice is a, I think it's a Cannondale Bad Boy 8 is what I have, though I need to, it needs a tune up. That's for sure. And uh, Mark Lee is also here. I'm here. Um, I got lots of modes of transportation. Um, Pouring out for the Vespa that my wife and I used to ride around town, but had to give up for reasons which we will probably talk about in this episode. Sure. <laughs> Mark, I, I, I'm given to understand that you've uh, you've undertaken a, well, I, I won't say hero because what's a hero, but uh, a sort of hero's journey over the last <laughs> uh, uh, over the last week or so. Uh, tell me, what was the call to adventure? Oh, it was uh, an, an email from uh, the organizers of the TD5 Borough Bike Tour. Uh, and at first I refused the call um, by... Uh, you know, shuffling along my email and, and letting it get buried and under under spam as as so many other important emails do. Um, but no, I, I heeded the call and passed through the threshold and went through the belly of the whale and all those things. And um, I didn't really complete the bike tour, but let's for the sake of this discussion here, yes, I completed. I, what, I achieved the ultimate boon. Was it Queens? And rode the five was it was it Queens? Tour. Was the belly of the whale Queens? Was that the- um, sure? Yeah. <laughs> Let me think about this. No, no, the belly of the whale is actually, oddly enough, the Staten Island Ferry to get back no, to, uh, to Manhattan. <laughs> the line, which, which you stand, yeah, and, and and then like kind of waiting in, inside like the, the cavernous hold of the ship. All so, right. so, I'm so looking Mark, at the map. This is this is serious. This ride is serious. Yeah, forty miles. Um, oh wow! And you did that all in one day. Uh, oh, well, I, I didn't. Those who finished it, the rest oh, of my okay. party did. Just just to cover this off here real quickly. It's like I had to turn back earlier because we didn't have the babysitter for so long. Um, <laughs> but the, my other three, my wife and uh, and, and uh, the two friends we rode with uh, did complete. Gotcha. I went to all five boroughs of the five borough bike tour. It was like the core. You made a noble sacrifice so that Hillary Swank could save the world. It's exactly like the core. <laughs> <Pete>. Yes. <laughs> so I'll turn back. You guys go without me. <laughs> in in a way, yes. But riding a bicycle is like drilling into the hot molten uh, magma center of the earth. <laughs> this oh, looks man. this looks fun. This looks fun, Mark. Did you enjoy it? it I mean, I I hate to uh, ask oh, such a mundane question. It is terrific fun. So just uh, I got to paint the picture here for those who are not aware of the TD Bank Five Borough Bike Tour, sponsored by TD Bank. Um, no, TD <laughs> Bank is not paying for us. Uh, for, uh, they, no, they paid a lot of money to sponsor the bike tour. Okay, so the deal is that tens of thousands of people sign up for this bike ride. It's not a race, um, but they shut down um, many streets of Manhattan. I think like on an order of magnitude um, of the New York City Marathon. Uh, they're not like throngs of, of people that are cheering you along. Um, in fact, like you, you will get people who are kind of uh, uh, honking their horns and complaining that all the, all the, the streets have been shut down. Uh, put a pin in that. We might talk about that later. Um, 
but yeah, it's a it's a leisurely ride. It's meant for a wide variety of skill levels. Um, uh, you don't uh, there's no like I said, it's not a race. You don't get a prize for for finishing fast. Uh, except the prize is um, if you finish quicker, then after as the ride ends in Staten Island, you can get on the ferry sooner um, and get back into Manhattan or wherever else you need to go um more quickly than the schmucks are stuck at the end and have to wait a very very long time for this this is by the way a, a long-standing uh, this, this has been going on for many years and it is a recurring a logistical thorn in the side of the organizers and people who ride um you're guaranteed to stand in line at least an hour you know with your bike just kind of chilling out um waiting to get onto the boat um so that's a that is kind of a, an unfortunate denouement to what is otherwise a um a, a very pleasant bike ride and it is a time to uh, meditate about uh, the, the humble bicycle and uh, what it means in our lives. Um, so, I don't know if you guys remember, I wrote an article years ago for overthinking it, um, specifically about like bicycles and self-actualization. And like a, a good, a real prominent example of this in our pop culture is the movie Karate Kid. You remember what happens to, to um, poor uh, Daniel LaRusso when he's riding his bike in Karate Kid? He gets shoved over, right? Yes. Or, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cobra Kai um, is zipping around in their motorcycles, and he gets run off the road. Um, and and the, the bike is this humiliating, uh, emasculate, emasculating mode of transportation. Wait, I don't yeah. remember. Like bicycles or dirt bikes or mopeds? What are they actually riding? They're riding dirt bikes. Okay, got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Zip, 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 and the helmets and all that good stuff. Um, and of course, later on in the Karate Kid. Um, uh, you know his his mentor uh, Pat Morita. Why am I blanking on the on the name of the uh, of the character? Mr. Miyagi, the, the actor, Mr. Miyagi. Because yeah. you have two kids. Mr. Miyagi right? with his classic cars gifts him yeah, gifts him an awesome classic car, um, and now he can take uh, I think it's Elizabeth's shoe right yeah. uh, out on a hot date. Hmm? Um, so you know there are many because you know the United States is a very car centric culture. Um, getting a car is uh, this. Uh, seen as this uh, pathway to self-actualization and becoming a full member of society um, uh, as opposed to the bike, which is like very limiting and um, and very childlike. I mean, right? In a way, you might say we were born to run. In a way, yes. Born to born to bike. <laughs> we were more born to bike than we were to born to drive, certainly. Um, but uh, at least in New York City, the, the, the humble bicycle has been making quite a resurgence in um the culture in like just kind of the, the the way that people get around the town um i'd say over the past like 15 years or so right more bicycle infrastructure has been built out more people started to bike myself included um the city got a bike share a proper bike share network which is very popular and became even more popular um during the pandemic because you know people wanted to move around on the surface as opposed to underground um, and it is also, you know, kind of ex- exacerbated existing tension between uh, cyclists and pedestrians and drivers and, and anyone else who shares and use, uses the road. And it, it doesn't sometimes it, it kind of cuts cleanly across uh, culture war axes, right? Like the uh, more conservative car driver against the more urban uh, cyclists, especially the quote unquote spandex crowd, right? Who cycles super fast and um i don't know drinks you know uh, drinks the latte and, and and takes away parking spaces um but it cuts other ways as well too right you have the um humble delivery worker who rides an electric bike and you know sometimes rides in the opposite direction and uh and and has uh and there's a kind of a a, 
accompanying um, overblown fear of them and they get demonized and their bikes get confiscated by the cops and there's all those sort of problems associated with that. But um, all that is to say that I got I got bikes on my mind and bikes. There's so much to talk about bikes in pop culture and in, in the, the, the culture culture. Um, so, yeah. What do you guys want to talk about? Well, we got we got yeah, our bikes. minds on our cycles and our cycles on our minds, uh, I guess. I'm a I'm I I love bicycling. I'm not serious. I'm not a spandex type of person, though. I have invested in shorts. Uh, Mark, have you have you do you have bike shorts, not spandex shorts, but like I have with the butt pads. I mean, I have butt pad shorts. Yeah. And, and man, it changed my game. It was really it was really glorious. I thought I was too cool for it. And then I realized, no, I am not too cool for that. I mean, I have the pants. I I, I think they they don't have the, they don't they're not the right size. They don't fit well. Um, and I only take them out for um longer rides like uh, the TD five or a bike tour. Um, and, and it actually kind of works against me because I'm not used to wearing them. Yeah, but so, yeah, yes. Like, so like the you know the the fashion and accessorization um is an important part of bike bike culture, cycling culture. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm 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 uh, so blessed to live in a climate that you know where we can bicycle 360 days a year. Uh, more or less. And I, you know, live near the ocean where there's a, a, a boardwalk. We're lucky to have a big, like, uh, you know, paved bike path up and down. Um, oh, that's a true gem. But what about the rest of what about the rest of Los Angeles? They've been putting car, st- car choked Los Angeles. I mean, it's no? it's they've been it, it's not super popular, but they've been like putting in they call them like safe streets or complete streets or something like that. There is oh, some yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, California, California Caltrans program to put uh, to put bike lanes, protected bike lanes in um, and they, you know, and and they uh, go in and then the Chamber of Commerce and and the business improvement districts and whatever, you know, just just raise unholy hell and try to recall uh, city council members because uh, you know they're they're just literally destroying the ability of a hardware store store owner to make a living or something by you know giving up three parking space the equivalent of three parking spaces in order to put a bike lane down Venice Boulevard like it's it's ridiculous but you know it's nice to have have uh, have protected bike lanes and I you know I I was. I was employed pre pre pandemic. I was employed for all of like ninety days uh, before a giant layoff at the the scooter company Bird, where uh, you know I managed the consumer engineering team, and I I was uh, I you know I loved uh, going around on those little scooters as well. I feel like you know my hot take, Mark, is that two wheels is the right number of wheels. Are you saying uh, two wheels good, four wheels bad? Well, yeah, it depends what you're what you're trying to do. I guess I'm not going to like make a lot of trips to the to the uh, hardware store to pick up I don't know bags of cement or something to like uh, to to concrete to pave a a you know I don't know to pave a driveway or something. <laughs> but not it's not going to uh, it's not going to fit on that. But I don't know, man. I've been I've been uh, I've been eyeing those e bikes with the uh, the big. Um, the you know the the big uh wooden baskets not baskets like more like more like crates i don't know that you can put like two kids in like uh four grocery bags in and the, the oh that's e- making a real statement if you're trucking around kids and and, and cargo and one of those things that's you know it's uh you are, you, that is basically driving around uh tooling around town saying i have declared war on cars i mean i'm an urban homesteader mark Which, you know there's no law out here in the in the old west here on the bleeding edge wh- which is a thing, by the way. Um, there is a podcast literally called The War on Cars. Um, it is tongue-in-cheek, but it is also, um, you know, uh, 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 
a mouthpiece of the bicycle lobby, <laughs> like you know the the trans the, the 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 corner of the transportation universe that is hardcore bike lobbyists, but I would, um, bike bike ad, bike advocates. Street I safety, agree. Yeah, street safety advocates probably is, is a better way to say that. And I'm like this all like this of course like <laughs> yes. this yeah, sure. hyper, all of this hyperbole of course like does not serve anyone anyone well. Um, and you know, um, creates sets, uh, you know, false trade offs where they ought not exist. And I feel like Pete wants to get in here and say something. Well, I, I mean, do I really do I was, I want to be anywhere in this conversation? No, I, was, ahead, I think you do. Yeah, I was about to say, I was about to say, I mean, as I'm sure we all agree, cars are bad in the enemy, and anyone who likes them is bad. Pete, do you want to weigh in here? Sure, I didn't have I lived without a car for 15 years. Um, <laughs> it was generally good. Uh, it was generally helpful and useful to be able to get around without it. And even more than that, I wasn't able to get around without it. I went to extreme lengths to live without a car, uh, including like many, you know, 11 hour days on public transit, getting from one place to another, you know, transferring from Greyhound to Greyhound. You know, I've been attacked on three different modes of transportation and I had to go to court for the guy who attacked me the one time and another guy was going to shoot me. So like, I don't, don't tell me I haven't ridden my shirt public transportation and it's not like I don't like it. Right. But, um, but let's not pretend that for, okay. I feel like I also biked for a long time and I haven't biked a lot recently. And that's because I moved out of, uh, the sort of jet more. Well, it's also because I've been at home, <laughs> you know, I've like, I've been working from home for two years now, I haven't had anywhere to go. And so like, I have my bike, it's right. It's like four feet in front of me right now, but I can't ride anywhere. But, uh, when I lived a little close to the city and also when I wasn't on lockdown, uh, as it were one way or the other, you know, I rode my bike, like I had a 15 mile round trip commute and I did that on my bike, like two or three times a week for probably about two years. And before that, I lived and I also had this sort of second life where I was in and around a theater. And so I had a much smaller world where I could bike, you know, you know, 20 minutes to get to my show and then like bike to where people were hanging out and then like bike home. Right. So I've been in the ecosystem where the bike provides you like really convenience access to everything you need to get to. Uh, I've been in the infrastructure where the bike is like a slog and it's really hard to get to where you need to get to, but you're doing it anyway. Um, and then I've been in the ecosystem where like the bike is being a solution to your transportation needs is like just not on the radar at all. Right. Because, you know, you live in the hills in a forest, you know, 20 miles away from the city and like uh, nobody would be expected to cycle all that way. But so I would say that like it's a very different vibe. There was this one other guy at my office who uh, I would describe myself not as a bike shorts biker, but as a cargo shorts biker, like the guy that you would see in sort of beat up old sneakers and cargo shorts with like a poncho on in the rainstorm with like my panniers, you know, my two different panniers mm. packed with my change of clothes and all the stuff that I needed for my full day of work and also my shows that night. Right. I was like really slogging through as a real beast of burden. Uh, and so there's one other guy that would bike to work. He biked from far away. Like he would bike like 30 miles in the morning and 30 miles at night. It was crazy. Like, I don't even know how, where he lived because I had, the town was like not in the, not in the immediate Metro area. Right. And he was super hardcore biking, but very small and very mild mannered. He was a, a doctor and he specialized specifically in, uh, auto safety. Uh, and he, he's like, you could tell hmm. the dot, like huh. an, an MD PhD who specialized in the injuries of people driving in cars, <laughs> um, rode his bike like 40 miles in the rain and snow. That is, that is how we felt about cars, uh, in terms of which was safer. Um, but, uh, I love that guy's great. I hope he's doing okay now. Um, maybe I'll link you to some of his research if I can find any of it online. The point being that like, 
I've been in the situation where the ecosystem is nice for cyclists and where everything feels easy. And I've been in the ecosystem where everything feels hard. And I can understand why somebody who is accustomed to everything being easy would want or expect it to be easy in a like larger area. Um, and, and at the same time, I also recognize that like it's not just the bike infrastructure that's making that not the case. Is it uh, like know? is it just a a you know city suburb divide, or is it do do you feel like it's more profound or subtle than that? I think it's more profound than that. I mean, th- this isn't really this. Okay, okay. Mark is talking about New York City. You're talking about Los Angeles, right? These are like not typical urban environments for the United States, or just in general. Right. I, I would even say that Manhattan is not a typical – how many different cities in the world have anything like what Manhattan has with regards to just like wall-to-wall tall buildings, right? It's not a lot that 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 are just totally packed and totally on that grid, right? It's uh, – a lot of cities are, are going to have places that look more dense or look less dense or have bigger buildings or have smaller buildings, windier streets, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, so the idea that New York is kind of, you're in any place in Manhattan and you can get to any other place in Manhattan, uh, and there's, and you can get there on public transit really fast. You can bike there. It doesn't just feel, it doesn't feel like normal, um, in a lot of places. So when I used to live was with seven miles outside of Boston, so still on the subway, I, to use a New York metaphor, it was basically Queens, right? So still in the city. Right. But and, and but also much closer than Queen than most. Well, Queens is right there, but like much closer than being out like Florham Park uh, near the at the end of the F line. Right. Like um, you could get on the subway and get into town in a half an hour. You could also get in subway and get town in an hour and a half. Uh, it's just sort of the way things worked. But the idea being that, like, you're in the city, but you're not in the part of the city that's all tall buildings. Um, and and as a result, it's the sort of pace of life is, I guess, different. But it's more like. How would I more characterize it? It's like it's the density of immediacy of the different locations that people have like like because um, really what what it was in my experience. And again, I'm, I'm going to punt it back to Mark real soon because I know you have a lot more experience with the whole transportation side of things. But the 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 journey that I would make every morning is I would come into town and I would be the only person. Right. Like there was um, one of the weird phenomena that I lived around was there were bike paths and then there were streets. And so at some point in the past, people decided bike paths were the answer, like separated bike paths. So there's this whole web of bike paths that maybe not everybody even knows about that run between a lot of the kind of major landmarks. And you just have to know when to get off the bike path and traverse like several blocks, pick up another bike path and go. So like I once biked all the way from I mean, you might know this Revere Beach which is like sort of like the Jersey shore of Boston, right? Like uh, all the way into where I lived in Cambridge uh, on like a series of four or five different separated bike paths that all had different names and didn't all appear on the same map. But I like knew where they are all all work because I had like a little booklet, right? Um, So there's like that way of biking. And then there's the way of like, no, I don't want to be there. I want to be on the street, right? And then it's like, no, I don't want to be on the street. I want to be on the street, but on a separated lane for my bike. It's sort of like three different philosophies, I guess, for how to cycle uh, and how to get from point A to point B on a cycle. And I guess the thing that 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 irritated me the most was the I, I don't mind riding alongside traffic. You know, I didn't really I didn't really mind it. I would go straight shots every day. It would normally work out fine. But I also saw that almost nobody else would do it. 
And I particularly saw how much people struggled who weren't like young, healthy men who were trying to do it. And I'm not trying to be like chauvinistic here. Like, no, the, it, the stats bear that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like the stats of, of who does it right. versus who doesn't do it, who gets in the accidents versus who doesn't get in the accidents. Right. Like there's a reason that I think, isn't it like male, like cyclist fatalities are like eight or eight to one or nine to one men now, whereas they used to be kids and now they're not kids because the kids all wear helmets. Right. But now and now and the adults didn't ride bikes. And now the adults ride bikes, but it's the men who ride the bikes. It's because it's hard. You know, like it's really physically demanding to ride a bike like, you know, five to ten miles, you know, in a go on hills in traffic with cars. It's scary, you know, and it's tough. And and it and the thing is, if you don't go fast, it gets tougher. Um, if you're if you, it's like if you're going slow and people are trying to pass you, um, if you don't have that maneuverability because you're going quickly, um, I could see it being like super scary. And and I would not want to be somebody riding on a bike in a major road, not even a major road, but like a medium sized road um, and not able to go faster than like 10 miles an hour. Right. Um, and so but but like when I would get to 10, the parts 10 of miles town, an hour is a good pace for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. mean, I'm again, I didn't have a speedometer on my bike, but it's like. I was making my seven mile bike ride in like forty five minutes, so I was going faster than ten miles an hour. Right, you were, you were. Um, I'm, ju- I'm saying oh, that yeah. you know, uh, of your sort of hypothetical like straw average person, right? Like ten miles an hour is probably a good, a good pace for them, you know. And yeah, that's, yeah, and yeah. It, it's true, it's true. It doesn't feel good, and especially, I don't, it really depends on the the driving culture. But like, I've had people like sort of, uh, you know, be menacing. Uh, to me in situations where I was like taking a lane, you know, in a, in a situation where there was no, uh, no dedicated bike lane. And this was on a two lane road where they oh, could yeah. have like easily gone around me and someone kind of went out of their way to, yeah. uh, went out of their way to like, let me, you know, let me know who had the, the two ton vehicle and who had the, the, <laughs> you know, 20, yeah. 20 pound vehicle. Right. I've, I've seen, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen cyclists hit, cars like as in like smash them <laughs> i've seen like uh i've seen uh i've never seen a car hit a cyclist but that's because the police take everybody away <laughs> right like uh the, there were definitely fatal i'm laughing but there were multiple over the years i was riding there were maybe three notable fatal cycling accidents maybe four that were along my bike trail only one of them didn't involve a car one of them was two cyclists who hit each other and one of them died and that Oof. was on a bike path um, and the, and it was two, it was two, um, it was two like bicycle pants guys who are like using a recreational, like pedestrian bike path for like high speed training and just collided head on with each other. One of them died. Wow. Um, yeah, that was wild. But then that's such a low probability of so many of these are like low probability events. So it's really hard oh, yeah. over large time scales to really understand because there's not a precedent for them because you didn't have people riding bikes on the street, adults riding bikes on the street in the United States. So you don't know how frequently this really is, and it's really based off of your emotional impact and who you are. Um, but but it did result in two major intersections getting totally redesigned, uh, which were good moves. So two of the major intersections I used to ride through a lot got majorly redesigned for the same reason in each case, which was that a truck cross turning left at the intersection did not um, – there was not visibility between the truck and the bike and the bike ended up going under the like box of the truck or the flatbed of the truck uh, getting hit by it. So like the driver couldn't see the cyclist, the cyclist couldn't see the driver. And to an extent I blame the intersection, but that's how it gets complicated, right? It's like, 
are you designing are the roads designed? Or first of all, are the roads designed? Because I'm getting too deep into the weeds. To finish my much simpler thought, I could tell when it crossed into the part of town where people's work and recreation and home were all close enough to each other that you didn't have to actually like really push. Like you could go where you wanted to go and you didn't have to take a shower after you got there. Right. Like I'd have to take a shower after I went biked to work because it was like even just the bridges were really tough, especially when you're carrying 40 pounds of gear and also like a 250 pound dude. Right. Like so. So it's like it's 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 intense and it's really difficult, Um, especially because I was in that great shape. But like if I were living and working around Cambridge, you know, and I can like bike a mile and a half across relatively flat land to go to my job and then I can bike to like my theater or like my hobby and then I can bike home. It's lovely. It's a hundred percent lovely, but the like density of cyclist was like so much higher. Right? And that was the thing that always got to me. Right. Which was that like, I would hear a lot of cyclist activists talk about how like every place needs to be like this. And I can understand the frustration of like wanting your bubble that is like so convenient and pleasant to like expand and be like more of the way people live. Sure. But like, Hey, this, you, you yeah. know, what, you know what public policy should serve my needs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's also like, but there aren't cyclists four miles away because where they work and where they live and where they take their kids aren't close enough to each other for like a, a bike to be like a good way to solve that problem. And that was what I'd say, well, we should rebuild all the towns. Yeah. So you're saying, you're saying march on, march on the suburbs and, and take them by force if necessary. Right. I mean, or, or am I misunderstanding what you're? Has <laughs> <laughs> that always been what punk rock has wanted to do? <laughs> oh, oh, you're you're saying you should we need to up zone? Oh, okay, I got it now. I got it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's what I'm. It's funny. I'm not because, even joking, by the way. Actually, yeah. actually, um, it's, it's it's all connected, man. It's all connected. Okay. I just I, I just wonder. I wonder. Sorry, I was just. I'll, I'll say the last thing is like I wonder how much of these ecosystems that have developed are like for the good or the bad, a confluence of factors that were never planned. And thus like how everybody's certainty that planning them in a particular way on a large scale is going to like work, right? Because I see so many different topographies and and the people I talk to don't seem to be thinking in terms of there being a lot of different topographies. Um, but that's because well, I'm, you know, talking to people on Reddit and they don't really understand. Well, so cool. let's start with, with planning yeah. and go way back yeah. to one of the first things you mentioned before about like how there's these uh, bike lanes. Yes. And they're they're it seemed disjointed. And you said that, like, you know, someone decided that this was like the solution. Right. Yeah. I, it, you're, yeah. you're giving too much credit for <laughs> for the amount of planning that probably went into that. Like if I had to hazard a guess, like a couple of things probably happened that made it disjointed. One is that like um, different um, municipalities were responsible for laying the, <laughs> the roads down. And two, like I, I, I can almost I would I would put money down that um a federal grant came along that said you got to build bike lanes <laughs> and so they're like i don't know i guess yeah. we'll put them over here which is a real thing by the way you see bike lanes like in places that make absolutely no sense because oh, yeah. somewhere in like you know in, in, in a federal grant uh you know re- requirements contract or something like that it was like you know x number of bike lanes must be built and so it's just like eh, yeah stick a, them over a, there. a lot of these bike trails i was riding on it's very similar i would say that like the multi-town agreements that were necessary to administer and continue to be necessary to administer and care for these bike paths are extremely complicated, right? Like it's like four towns and the state, right? All have different rules and roles and they pay for different things. But a lot of it was made possible by the availability of right-of-ways that had previously been used for trains. 
And so when the trains were shut down or moved, then the land uh, could have been used for something else. But in order, I guess, to keep it in the family, maybe was one of the motivations. The transportation authority was like willing to partner with the town. So let them build bike lanes, probably using a federal grant. Right. It's like there's like it, it happens. Yeah, because the money becomes available because there's some yeah. there's some moment that makes it possible. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so talk about let's keep talking. Let's get writing this planning uh, train. Yeah. Pun intended. Uh, keep writing this planning train a little bit more. Right. Like all these things we talk about here, you know, it, it's like it. You know, the, the first if your first question coming in is like, well, like, you know, how do we plan things so that it's better? You know, biking is more pleasant and we encourage more people to bike and we get that safety in numbers that blunts a lot of the, the issues that you were talking about there. And also just makes drivers more aware of cyclists and, you know, makes them more accustomed to sharing the road with cyclists, all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, no, that's not really what we're trying to solve for here. And then it's like, you know, well, like, you know, how do we you know, what are we doing here? Like, how, how are we organizing our, our society and encouraging um healthier activities like no that's not what we're solving for here either well maybe it's a little bit part of it and, and the other you know we got another question here of like you know how are we planning uh moving people around that doesn't require um cars and the associated carbon impact on that it's like no that's not what we're planning for either but like, well, maybe it's a little bit of it and then like that i know I, I threw in upzoning there for a second because like that is a uh that is just something that keeps coming up over and over again and like you know how american life is organized right like you know it's like, how are we, uh, you know, organizing our neighborhoods? How are we planning that out? Like, you know, uh, this goes, you know, finally you reach to the end of like, you know, how are we envisioning our society like at like that level? Right. Like yeah. what are what are our lives going to be like? And that question gets answered in, you know, many disparate ways uh, and absolutely not in a in a in a unified, coordinated fashion <laughs> yes. and, and almost and in, in many circumstances also not in ways that you know speak to you know many of the fundamental challenges around affordability affordability and sustainability that we have as a society and that's why everything's kind of screwed up and that's why um you know uh that, that's why the 2005 movie the 40 year old virgin right you remember steve carell mm -hmm. tooling around his bicycle like portrayed like, like, as an like absolute weirdo and, like being passed by people on the cars right that's why that image uh existed in 2005 and that's why like a version of it still uh, exists now, uh, and that's why in 2022, um, you know, when you have um, you know a huge urban cycling event like that's still seen as a little bit of an oddity, right? And mm -hmm. the same same drivers who uh, are like livid that they are inconvenienced in this way for this thing, like don't even think twice about the um, about the New York Marathon, and that they're similarly mm -hmm. inconvenienced in terms of like you know trying to drive from point A to point B. Oh, yeah. So all of that, yeah. all those things. In the early 2000s, you, you mentioned 40-year-old virgin. The bike icon in pop culture that always comes to mind for me is, of course, Ang Lee's Hulk, which is maybe one of the best Wait, cycling movies of oh, all time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Eric Banner, right, as, as uh, uh, Yeah, because yeah. Bruce Banner uh, or David Banner or whatever commutes to work in Berkeley – by bicycle and there's like one shot of it of him like riding his bike up an extremely steep hill while he's wearing his helmet right and he looks so uncomfortable and and the one defining characteristic that's just utterly crystallized by this shot is just how ferocious the opposing pressures are in this man's life between his rage and his control over his rage and suppression of his rage, right? Just that the way that bike helmet is just sitting on top of that head like a catapult stone waiting to be hurled at whatever whatever opposition this guy is is finally going to uh, unleash his his uh, his id on when it finally cuts loose. 
but yes, it's uh, although the bike icon that also comes to mind for me is Punch Out. Uh, Mike Tyson's Punch Out and Punch Out. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, yeah, isn't it, there's, isn't there's he, a cyclist in a boxing game. Isn't he training? Is. Yeah, it's when he's training. It's in oh, the, the uh, training montage, right? And he's yeah. jogging and he's training and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's because again, we the uh, there's there the there's a crisscross graph that exists, and it's the graph of of U.S. cycling fatalities, and it's like. Back in like the 70s and 80s and whatnot, it was very high for children and almost non-existent for adults. And now it's very low for children and very high for adults, relatively speaking. And like so when I go back to memories of, of bicycles, I think of it from the sort of childlike perspective of like your friend has a bicycle or you have a bicycle. And it's so amazing that it goes so fast. But the thing that's happening in Punch-Out is Little Mac is you know you beat you beat one of the circuits of boxers and they show a little montage of little mac jogging with the statue of liberty in the background and his coach is riding the bicycle behind him to keep up with it because he's so fast um, have you ever done the thing where you were with a friend who was cycling or on rollerblades or maybe i guess on a hoverboard these days and you didn't have those things and so you would hope that you could run hard and fast enough to keep up with them that's like a very specific memory. i have no i have not done that thing. a lot of my friends were hockey players growing up and uh roller hockey players in particular in new jersey in the 90s and and i and i was not much of a roller skater i had rollerblades but i was not good and so often when they would go skating i would like run behind them <laughs> and uh and so that was the energy of the bicycle there was it was sort of affording you a speed. But it was the bicycle was in relation to the pedestrian, which is a different uh, Matt check dichotomy, dichotomy, dialectic uh, cycling pedestrian versus cycling, uh, cycling uh, motorist. Oh, I'm going to need are, t- t- type across before I'm going to need two liters of Odenex stat. I'm sorry. You said cycling pedestrian versus cycling. And I thought there was a motor vehicle accident. That's oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it's and and we're gonna have to talk about the insurance. We're just gonna talk about uh, about various sorts of auto liability right now. No, we're not gonna talk about that. Uh, it's one of the few topics, but yeah, we're, we're talking about cycling and in relation to to childhood and the speed that it affords you. And like, so we we absolutely have to at least briefly name check ET in this conversation. Oh yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, right. The so the, the kids, this, yeah, the the, yeah. The, the, the the bike is never seen as like you know a childish or emasculating thing. It is um, literally how children um ascend to a higher plane of existence yeah right and and communicate with extraterrestrials but it's yeah exactly i i mean like i that feeling is not lost on me you know even now as an adult uh as an adult biker like i i i really like pete i really like the kind of the continuum you describe uh, of bike convenience or or bike access bike accessibility, you bike know, accessibility, yes, right? Yes, that yes. that like because w- when it's bad, it's awful, but when it's good, it's so good, yeah. you know. And that's like, and I I even feel that now with like, the, sure, okay, you know, we we own a, a, my household of two adults, uh, we downsized to one car. Uh, you know, when one car lease came up, we, we just didn't renew it, uh, or didn't like replace it with a new lease on a different car. And that, that like, um, you know, uh, so I've been, I've been bicycling more and, and I mean, it's, it's not a totally fair thing. I, I have two motorcycles, but the, the, uh, um, you have two oh, now? Okay, well, put a pin in that. I've We're a, coming back to that. Well, I have, a, I have a scooter and a, a motorcycle, but they're both an M1 license in California. I got the scooter because I, you know, I made plans to get the scooter when I lived in Connecticut, where you didn't have to get an M1 license. Um, 
to to ride something small or whatever the the equivalent motorcycle was and you you had to you had to get it here so i ended up getting it and then you know immediately got the 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 triumph from overthinker ben adams um the we we kept it in the overthinking it we kept it in the overthinking it family and that like uh i you know but so so it's not like i you know i don't i have the ability to to get anywhere um but the you know to like haul groceries or something like that you know don't don't really have the ability to do and i just i love going places on the bike so much because the the car to a certain extent all the infrastructure uh, around the car feels like uh, a real burden a lot of the time you know it's not like it's not like oh car convenient because car seat comfortable and air conditioning you know it's the the you know 20 minutes sitting in los angeles traffic or just the the parking you know i i know someone who won't who won't park like <laughs> who finds it stressful to to pull into and out of uh out of uh parking spots and this person who is sort of a distant relation like um you gotta like get out <laughs> You know, has to get out and like that someone else has to pull the car into the parking spot. And that's like, you know, I don't know. I was driving the other day after not driving for a while um, and feeling really, really stressed uh, about driving. I was on the the uh, Interstate 10 or as we call it in Los Angeles, the 10. And, you know, there were two like large trucks on either side of me or something. So I was I was sandwiched, Pete, between a, a Ford F-150 and a Chevy Silverado. And I couldn't, you know, I was I was in this this canyon, you know. The, the, but not a, not a cool, a GMC. not exactly, not a cool canyon like you'd see in a truck ad. A, a can, it was like the, these two, you know, threatening, hulking masses on either side, all of us doing, you know, 130, 140 miles an hour, as you do when you're driving on the 10. And, and, uh, I was like, this is extremely stressful. And you know what? It always was stressful. I was just, I was just, uh, uh, desensitized. To it, and that's you know, so like the the idea that like the idea that there aren't downsides, you know, uh, even given the the great conveniences that that auto auto travel affords. I, I guess what I need is I need a truck. Now I need a no, you know, Matt. That's not so okay. I need a Ford F one fifty. I need a Ford F four fifty with the the crew cabin. You know, the, the crew. I, I, I gotta I gotta haul guys to the job site. You know, I feel like hopefully, hopefully over the course. Oh, I, I see that Mark has found a picture of uh, Eric Banner from the Hulk movie. <laughs> we we got to in the show notes. His so epic looks, mighty bike helmet. It's so, so great. It's, it looks like it looks like a flight of the Navigator spaceship. It's great. Um, I, I I feel like the well, no, that's the point. I feel like uh, hopefully at least here as COVID has been going on for two years. We've all had a little bit of an opportunity to evaluate the relationship between our fears and our realities. And one of the things that I felt like was a big insight from my years of bike commuting was that the things that are actually dangerous are not the things that you're scared of. Mm, yes. And, we'll unpack, and unpack that. So, so like looking up the statistics of kind of where people get in accidents on bikes, right? It's like the most, I think for what I saw, the most dangerous thing you could do on a bike is go from a minor road onto a major road. Right. Like go through an intersection, especially of like a regular road and a highway. And uh, and I think in particular, which is very different from a pedestrian, right, where the most dangerous thing that you can do as a pedestrian is like walk on a highway at night. Um, And so both of those things are going to happen more often in certain places than in others. The orientation of the streets is going to affect like whether, you know, if you bike in D.C., you have to pass through basically highways 
to get around some of the big roundabouts to get through some of the sectors of the city, like the way that it's all mapped out and gridded out, right? And in New York, you know, basically all the avenues are highways. You know, they're they're like four, at least they were back in the day, like five lanes or whatever, four lanes to six lanes, and just like one way, and people are blasting down them sometimes. Um, yeah. And by the way, more of them have protected bike lanes now, but by no means all, not all of them, and the. the Bike lanes are, are Peter, far from perfect. It's not just that it's not just that they're highways. They're sort of the, the the worst of both worlds between highways and city streets because they're highways that are you know intersected at regular intervals by the uh, by the numbered streets. And like so, you have when when like one of the things they taught you, they really drilled into your head at uh, in motorcycle safety class was like when when S is going to go down, it's going to go down at an intersection. Like anytime traffic yeah. merges or or whatever, and so you you have a you have an intersection every tenth of a mile or something like that on the on the highway. So it's you know it's it's sort of two strikes against you already. Yeah. So I guess to make it to okay, I'll, I'll put it in terms of cars because I think it'll be less controversial to introduce the concept and maybe we can think about extrapolating it to bikes. So in cars, there's this perception that if you're in an SUV and you have a collision with a car, you're safer because your car is bigger, right? Right. Um, and I would say you feel safer because you're higher up and you feel bigger. Uh, and while there is you know, data to suggest that a collision specifically that happens between an SUV and a car, uh, yeah, sure, you don't want to be necessarily in the lower to the ground car, especially before more modern you know, design standards were put into play. But if you look at the actual statistics for what kills people in, you know, <coughs> excuse me, in these kinds of situations, the biggest game changer has been you know, electronic stability control, right? So the big – if you're in an SUV and you're thinking, man, I'm glad in this SUV I'm so much safer because I'm so much bigger than the cars, you were never aware of the thing that was actually a danger to you, which was the likelihood that your car was going to skid out and flip over, right? Um, you thought you were safe, but you were actually not safe. And because of a high center safe. of gravity, right? Yeah, you have a higher center of gravity, car, yeah. and so the car is more likely to roll over. And uh, a lot of the safety – a lot of the reasons why cars now are so big is because there are – safety standards to make the pillars thicker and why the visibility is so bad because they did so much to make it so that if the car rolled over, you wouldn't get killed. But the big game changer was adding these computers that were able to adjust the, uh, the, you know, force the, you know, the power applied to the wheels in the event that your car was starting to spin out. And this is really what made SUVs much more comparable, though not the same as regular cars in terms of their relative safety. Right. So like, you could be driving, you know, if you're if, if you think you're safe because you're in the bigger car or if you might you hear people a lot say, well, that car is just sort of paper. This car is old and steel and it's much more sturdy and safe. It's not right. Oh, like, no, 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 you, no, no. We've no, all no, seen no, those no, old no, videos, no. right? Unsafe. The crumple zones. You're talking about the crumple zones? Yeah, exactly. Crumple zones Tell is about another example, zones. right? Where it's like um, the old cars where everything was very rigid, intense steel, uh, right? Where you would hit something and the car wouldn't be that damaged. Well, the force would get transmitted to your face hitting something and getting very damaged, whereas, you know, crumple zones and parts of the car that are meant to collapse in a controlled way in a collision absorb the force, right, redirect it, uh, are, are designed to redirect it and engineer direct it in different directions, depending on different kinds of accidents, to coincide with different sorts of airbags. And so the more damage your car takes in an accident might be an indication that it's taking the damage on your behalf, right? So, like... If we just introduce the idea that, like, you might be scared because you think your car is flimsy when your car being flimsy is actually a safety feature, 
you might be feel safe because your car is big when really your car having a high center of gravity is a risk factor. Um, you might, uh, I mean, the, the, I, I, again, I shouldn't get too much into insurance because I work in it and not say too much, but I will say that it is surprising which cars are more expensive to insure and which aren't. And it very often has to do with which cars are more likely to be driven by which kinds of drivers, uh, much more than the car's inherent characteristics. So, you know, a, a Civic SI versus a regular Civic might have very different insurance rates because different people drive them, right? So, like, that kind of does, thing. Does, does one of them drift? Uh, yes, like, yes. Like, you can get sick drift out of one of them. <laughs> well, well, let's let's say yes. <laughs> one <laughs> of them is the sportier one that comes with a manual transmission, and the other one is okay. the kind that, yeah. you know, you you take to your, your job at the uh, – at the defunct travel agency that closed like 10 years ago because they don't even make the sedans anymore. But that's what I mean. It's like once you introduce the idea of like, okay, I'm riding down a relatively small two lane, maybe four lane street in a straight line and there's cars next to me. The thing that's intolerable to me as a cyclist is that I can't control whether the car kills me or not. That That's my feeling. And again, I'm not saying this is universally the case. My own feeling was like this car could just hit me. Right. And there's nothing that I can yep. do about it. Now, that is an intolerable feeling, but like it's not that much different from your situation when you're in a car. Um, is it, it, in the sense of like somebody could hit you, you know? Um, and in particular, but but here's the other thing the car you're most scared of hitting you when you're on a bike is the car you, you can see that can see you. And that's not the car that's most likely to hit you. Right. So it's like you're riding down a straight street and there's a car right next to you and you're worried. You, there's a legitimate worry that a car that's parked is going to door you. Right. Which is like legitimately very scary and a dangerous thing to have happen. But there's this I mean, I felt it. I don't know if you feel it when you're cycling. This car next to me feels so dangerous. I'm so close to it. It's so much bigger than me. Mm. But really, it's not the danger. The car that's turning is the danger. Right. Right. right you know, right. and like and so um, and that's not to say that this like undermines or argues against these sorts of things, but it's more like. I think that a lot of the landscape of the discussions that happens for the cyclists and the motorists is based off of perception. And that's one of the, the difficulties of arriving at a kind of constructed, ne constructive, negotiated solution in a lot of these situations. Like the, the motorist sees the cyclist break the law really frequently, right? The cyclist claims the motorist breaks the law really frequently. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that that motorists run red lights as often as cyclists do, but like, you know, I'm sure. A lot oh, of sure. Or certainly not stop signs. But 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 here's the thing. Like the, there's also a difference in the severity, the feeling of severity uh, and thus the feeling of taboo associated with different sorts of ways that you break the rules. That's different when you're on a bike versus in a car. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so like when a bike, when you're running a red light, you know, you're putting yourself in danger. <laughs> but like it's not maybe not quite as likely that you're going to plow into somebody else and kill them. <laughs> right. So like uh, but at the same time, this, the car I, I feel personally, I'll just say it about myself. I feel a lot more scared of running a red light in a car than a bike. I really try not to run red lights in, in, on bikes. And I would, I counted them on my commute. I think there were an average over a course of a week. It was about 150 to 200 cyclists would run red lights in front of me during my seven mile commute into work in the morning. Um, and, it, but that's me sitting at the red light, you know, like a freaking idiot waiting for everybody else to go by like a right? chump, like, like a chump. Like like Eric Bana, like Ralph Macchio getting pushed <laughs> off his bike by the Cobra guy. Um, anyway, Mark, I want to kick it back to you because you actually know more about this stuff. And I'm oh, just communicating my intuition and my my feelings. Yeah, and I should remind listeners to this as well that um, I, I, it's fair to say I used to be a transportation professional. That mm -hmm. was used to be my field. I'm in a different field now, but part of my job um, 
in the past was addressing uh, a myriad of issues around moving people from point A to point B and road safety. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm the road safety is not my specific specialty, but I come at it with like, you know, more, uh, more background knowledge than like than most people I'd say. So, um, one thing I want to address, like, like, because this is like the, the bike up, the, the bike cast, um, and like the running, running of red lights. So this is a complicated thing here, right? Um, so you address like the most important thing here, which like the severity of like a several, you know, thousand pound vehicle running a red light is more of a magnitude greater than uh, a, a very small uh, bicycle running a red light. Right. Um, the, the problem you have is that the the norms and laws around red lights are and especially in the United States are, are, are really oriented primarily around cars. Sure. Right. And like, you know, when a, a cyclist encounters this. Um, they are uh, on paper expected to obey laws that apply equally to cyclists and to and to bikes, but in in a way that kind of when the, the cyclist is is at the red light um, can quickly observe that like this doesn't make any sense and ought not apply to me, and therefore they go ahead through. The reason why they 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 and the reason why they feel this way is because they have better visibility of uh, traffic coming from different directions because they're smaller because they can more more nimbly nimbly get through no, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, feet, I don't feet. think you, that's why you, they you, feel you, that way you, that is part that is part of the People that is part of the reason why that they know i i don't have to wear a mask because i naturally have really strong lungs and I'm totally healthy, right? Like, so, like, maybe other people that that is that is all part. <laughs> that is all part. But that, then he flex into this in the area away from laws and into norms, right? Yes, yes. yes. Societal norms, like, I, and and I can't say there's like a single norm around cycling, right? And there are many norms, of it, yeah. but like you know, a prevailing norm of cycling is that cyclists don't have to obey red lights in the same way that automobiles do. That is a fact, right? Now, whether that is a good norm to have is a different thing. But the reason why we have this divergence between uh, norms and and laws is because of what I mentioned before, which is that, you know, again, a fact, right, that the, the red red light design and laws are written primarily with with, um, with cars in mind and not with cycles, the bicycles in mind. Now, like this does it create problems. Of course, it does. Absolutely. It creates conflict. It creates safety problems and things like that. So um, let me just like, you know, do some straight up like you know, civil engineering, like urban planning uh, lingo here, right? If you have a, a, a safety situation, you need to always apply the three E's. <laughs> Matt and Pete, you want to know what the three E's are? Uh, I'll take that as a yes. Ele- electro? No, I don't know. Which <laughs> engineering, mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. and enforcement. Okay, so if you have a problem where cyclists are behaving badly and creating dangerous situations, which... By the way, like in a city like New York City, um, uh, they are doing so at a like minuscule fraction of what cars are doing, right? Like cars are, you know, causing like rather tremendous and unfortunate carnage in New York City. Like state of fact, mm-hmm. bicycles are not. Again, like a, a pretty the thing that you cannot really dispute. But anyway, so like it, that's not to say it's not a problem. It is like not near as problem of a big of a problem as cars. But let's, we should address it, right? And since this is the bike cast, we should address the bike safety. Uh, problems that certainly do exist, right? Engineering, right? Protected bike lanes that 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 uh, literally, you know, keep different, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, pedestrians, cyclists, cars out of each other's way. Um, bumps, right? That force cyclists to slow down 
things like that, right? Physical objects that uh, get people to slow down and, and, and move in safer ways, like planters, trees, trees, literally. Like you plant trees and people go slower. It's like it's kind of a weird thing. Um, enforcement, like, you know, which is uh, done very spottily in, New York, in, a, in a place like New York City, like actually ticket people in ways, you know, that specifically address um, uh, bad behavior and like do so in a way that like is, is frequent enough so that um, it creates a, you know, a, a, a tangible um, palpable sense of uh, accountability uh, and you know, threat that if I do the, the, the this this set of actions, then it, it might uh, cause me to get a ticket. Um, lastly, is education, right? And that gets back to the norms piece around um, how do you literally change people's minds around these things? Like, uh, uh, let's have a, a an advertising campaign of famous New Yorkers. Um, Spike Lee is, is like always in the in in, in these PSAs and, and show him like reflecting behavior that um, uh, that is desirable um, to produce more safe outcomes. So um, that's how you would address um, this particular conundrum. Pete, is there, are you are you does that satisfy? Well, no, I, I think it's really interesting and I appreciate you sharing your expertise. I have a I have a different theory of uh, mind that might explain similar uh, behavior. And, and, and there's a, there's a question at the end of it that I think might be interesting. So, so I'll just, I'll just throw a little bit of, of an alternate view here, right? Sure. So one alternate view, no, you have to make, whether you're on a bike or in a car, you have to make many, many decisions over a long period of time. And uh, you have to do them under various sorts of mental distress. You'd be tired. You could be upset. Any number of things can be happening to you. The human brain is not good at making complex judgments in situations of distress, distraction, exhaustion, anything like those things, right? Yep. So it is advantageous, almost necessary for traffic safety for decisions to be automatic and not to be judgment calls. Uh, judgment calls in general and traffic safety, I would suggest are bad because people aren't good at making complicated decisions many, many times over, over long periods of time during all these different conditions. I think, in my opinion, the main driver of why cyclists stop at red lights is because it sucks to go don't stop it because it sucks it's it's unpleasant and i think that we grossly underestimate the effect that inconvenience has on behavior uh even even like slight pains right create operant conditioning loops that shape our behavior i mean masks. i'm not just joking when i talk about masks right like i think people really underestimated how human beings work with regards to tolerating minor uncomfort discomfort Right. You know, and, and, and so like and, and it's not like just a failure of character that you find yourself experiencing operant conditioning based on a sustained and and sort of repetitive discomfort. No, right. IQ because the, the your brain is not always a rational thinking machine. Your your brain is a is a machine for ex post facto rationalization of the thing that you want to do based on other factors a lot of the time. Right. And so like. In order to maximize the safety of intersections for cars, we condition people from an extremely young age to stop at red and go on green. And we boil it down to the simplest possible decision that you can make. And for a driver of a car, this is a trivially, especially an automatic, this is a trivially easy thing to do, right? Like, yeah, the yellow light gives you a tough decision and like you might have to slam on the brakes every once in a while. But most of the time there is multiple big bright lights telling you exactly what you need to do. For a cyclist, the lights are acting against various other inputs that you're getting while you're driving. It's a more complicated decision. It's a more, uh, there's a bigger disincentive to do it. And so you arrive at a situation where you have a different, uh, predominant behavior that's based off of different incentives. 
And so here's what I get to is that norms, right? That like, are the norms there? There are there are of course the norms that are uh, you know kind of spoken about and and kind of um, uh, shared as the ideal of how you're supposed to behave in society, right? That's sort of one kind of norming. But then there's the other kind of norming where you look around at what the other people around you are doing, and that tells you kind of what the what an underlying norm might be. And one of the things that happens when people code switch. Uh, is they shift between the norms that they think of as what are societal ideals that will be rewarded, that have sort of status associated with them and other sorts of rewards, and then the practical norms that they know are the things that people are actually doing and what they can kind mm-hmm. of uh, – what what and they know on some level that if somebody tries to get you to follow a norm that's ideal, that doesn't really match what the people around you are really doing, that that's something you can say that you'll do, but you won't really do it. And I think that there is a real problem a very intense problem in our technocratic society uh, or in various technocratic societies when the gap between these sort of ideal norms and the practical norms becomes really large. Um, And also when you have different groups of people who can all communicate within their own groups, observing practical norms that are followed in different ways by other groups of people. Uh, And I think that, I mean, I don't think that's even a modern thing. I mean, when to scale back, that's a modern thing. I think you can use that as a vocabulary to understand a lot of different kinds of really bad emergent behavior. Um, It's not good. The result of it isn't good. But it's like, well, everybody here does this and everybody there does that. And those people are bad. And that reinforces my pre-existing notion that they're different from me. Right. And so that's going to help uh, break down the notion that the two groups of people are one group of people, one group of people or have a shared interest or ought to like be expected to make sacrifices in each other's interest. So Pete, you're taking this, you're taking this from, from Daniel Kahneman or from maybe the more economic from like Dan Ariely or something like that from the, the behavioral economics. Yeah. This is, I guess what I'm saying is this would be, this would be a behavioral economic rather than a sociological uh, explanation for it, I suppose, where you're saying like, what are the incentives that create the group behavior that then gets sort of justified by culture? Right. Um, And then, what categorizations do people then in turn make based off of the salient differences that are created by the modalities of behavior? Because here yeah, on, yeah. on Overthinking It, we know that man is justified by culture and culture alone. <laughs> are you not a man of culture? So, yeah, so, but I mean, I mean it's, it all comes around to the same thing, Mark, which is I agree, I agree with you like on like 99% of what you're saying totally. I'm just using a different way of getting around to it. But what I'm trying to suggest is that like the, the, the animosity that it builds – that the nor that the like the the difference in norms builds between these like two groups of people is not like a trivial thing and is not like a matter of education. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, I didn't mean to try to sound like a no, trivial. no, I don't think you were saying like, it with, was, with you know with my <laughs> with my overly technocratic uh, kind of you know easy three e uh, everybody breakdown wishes, there. yeah yeah but you know exactly so but of course you as a like a you know a public servant there's limitations on how much you can change the minds of other people right but it's like. Yep. Man, it's 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 just it's it's a really thorny issue because if you can't in a lot of situations, you don't want people to be on the same page because you're a partisan, you know, like like I don't want to just make all sorts of I don't want to split the difference because that's not what my goal is. Right. Um, Got it. So we're, even, we're, yeah. we're back to demonizing bike activists now. That's the well, I don't want to demonize. I'll, <laughs> demonize, I'll demonize the, the car activists. Right. It's like um, it would not be a good solution for cars to be like, okay, well, I'll just go halfway into the intersection every time, right? <laughs> like, like the the bike gets to go through all the time. I get it, you know? I get that we're different, but, like, you know, I'm just going to go half the time, you know? Or, like, I'm just going to drive halfway in. 
right? And it's like, and what are they going to say about me, right? Like, like the cars. Which, um, by the way, like there are plenty of drivers again in New York City that do totally. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I will. I mean, to even to even again to take the cyclists out of the equation, there is another norm problem with regards to like how you behave in intersections. Just period, right? Because right, the because yeah. the whole red, green, yellow program doesn't actually work like 100 percent of the time, or even like. In all scenarios, in all like the what six Mark, is there a listed number of scenarios that happen at a, at a red light, green light intersection oh, that is there, like. It might actually no, I don't think there is. It's probably like infinite in this complexity. Yeah. Right? But like but like automated cars are having a real problem with it. Right. Uh huh. Like because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the decisions that happen are really complicated. And of course, as we and, mentioned, and, part of and this, often involve eye contact between yeah. uh, pedestrian and driver, which if you have a driverless car is impossible. <laughs> right, 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 right. And if you're pedaling really hard on a bike, yeah, that's true. Driverless cars can't make eye contact with pedestrians to note whose turn it is to go. You can't give the little wave, you know, you can't program into the automated Jeep that it's supposed to wave at other automated Jeeps. I mean, I'm sure Uh, some technocrat is trying to like, you know, program that in. Yeah, I mean, they would think that, but then it would only be like a like a like a digital display face. Yeah, like you have to buy a, a Internet of Things dongle that like uses an NFT to signal to another dongle that like you are going to turn left. Oh, uh, you, you might be might be joking that, but like that is like one of those kind of galaxy brain ideas that has been yeah. proposed by you know quote unquote futurists. But like, oh yeah, you just get the pedestrian transponder so that the uh, that the the self driving cars know where they are. Yeah, it's, uh, that, that it's, sounds like a good idea. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's called Safety Pal. S A F dash T. <laughs> well, I, what I what I'm thinking is like, what would if I if I were just blue skying ideas is like, well, what would a what would a communication system that worked between cyclists and motorists look like, where they could actually like signal to each other in a mutually agreeable way, like what they were going to do? Um, that seems like it's very it was very hard to come up with because because that's the other thing about a bike is that you can't look behind you. You know, like you can't look in your mirror and wave. You can't like flash your lights. Like your field of view is pretty narrow. Most cyclists can't do hand signals. Um, they either don't know them or don't want to do them or can't hold themselves up on their bike with only one hand. Uh, like, I mean, I guess I never see them. Um, but of course, like that's. Also oh, really? Cool. I do big old, big old dorky hand signals. Oh, I do. I'm- oh, but I'm an idiot. Yeah, exactly. I'm the dope at the red light. But yeah, yeah. You do the big dorky hand signal. Oh yeah, man. You gotta, you gotta, especially you know, at an intersection. Like that's the dangerous. Yeah. That's the dangerous spot. Like that's the you know where you gotta where you gotta go on on heightened alert. Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, you gotta. So so what we have to do is apply uh, evidence based uh, nudges. What nudges? I think nudges are going to solve all of this. We gotta, uh, you know. <laughs> But yeah, and then then we're going a little too far in that direction. Your your joke is well taken, right? Like we need to go back to Mark's idea of like education ultimately. But I guess the question is, what are we educating people on what to do? Well, yeah, it's not. I mean, like if you think of like the the probably ap- apocryphal or a, you know at best like three quarters true story about like jaywalking, you know, uh, becoming a a, a crime. Um, you know, Jay's being a, a term, an early 20th century term for like unsophisticated rubes in the cities who would walk into the street. Like, why can't you just walk into the street? I'm a, I'm a citizen. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, so just to unpack that a little bit, that was just, that was the norm. Right. right just right, like, yeah. you see this footage, footage of, of, of streets, you know, in the early automobile area. Like, it is totally chaos. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but that's just what it was. And then, like, you know, the automobile interests um, sought to create laws to criminalize, you know, just like 
walking down the road. But the point the the point was that it they, they linked it to they linked it to to a social pressure, right? Like they linked it to something undesirable being seen as an unsophisticated room in the city, and that's like uh, that's what was successful, right? Like it wasn't an education program. Per se, it was an education program, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, one with uh, textbooks or, or, you know, tests or curriculum or anything like that. Like you just make people feel bad enough times for, for doing yeah. the bad behavior and the bad behavior will, uh, will disappear, you know? Um, yeah, it is. I mean, it is, I, I just think. But I, you know, I don't know. I think there is a limit to that kind of thinking because that would be like only one E. What we're talking about is like a sort of thinking that is like, okay, only the engineering E matters. You know, you, you have to make it, you, you have to make the right thing. The, the only solution to a lot of these problems is to make the right thing the easy thing. And, uh, um, you know, and that uh, every other effort is, is sort of doomed to, to fail. Um, you know, I don't know. There, there would be, I think a lot, a uh, lot fewer people <laughs> paying their taxes if that were actually the case. But the the uh, the wisdom is not is not lost on me that like I mean, more people would pay their taxes if it were easier to do. Probably, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Continue. <laughs> do you? Th- I mean, I I don't know. I feel like the the they're going to come and like uh, they're going to come and put you. I, I feel like there is a deterrence kind of effect. I, uh, more people would pay their taxes more accurately, I suppose. If it were. Oh yeah, I guess I guess what I say, pay, more people would file their taxes if it were easier to do. Yeah, people pay their taxes because they're withholding from their paychecks before they get them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. It's, yeah, that makes it very easy to do the right thing. It's really an opt out rather than an opt in. <laughs> really, it's a nudge. Yeah, absolutely. You know what you got to do is you got to make the default check on the the on the form yes instead of no it worked for organ donors and it will work with you know are you going to stop at red lights all the time check yes or no you just say yes make the default yes it'll solve all the all the problems around uh around social behavior indiana jones last crusade style blades that uh, shoot up from the floor at the red light and cuts any cyclists in half and their bikes so my mark thank you for coming to my here, mark here's here's my here's a question i have for you here's a question how what up to and including the most draconic of measures possible how can a cyclist make a left turn like what can we do to intersections to make it easier or more possible for cyclists to make left turns because as a cyclist i found left turns just to be an absolute nightmare um, um, and I would actually plan my route to have as few of them as possible, oh, geez, especially that's in actually multi-lane pretty, roads. That's actually pretty tough. So then the, the – well, it's like one of the E's, um, at least in like uh, the Busy Avenue um, bike lane that I described before. Like the protected bike lane is all the way to the left already. So at least you don't so have you to – you want your bike lane on the left, not on the right. You want your bike lane on the left. Um, you, still make, the, you still have the problem. Um, yes, it does actually. Okay. Um, so making the left turn, you still have the uh, – certainly the bigger problem of uh, cars making the left turn. Um, who uh, don't think to check to see if a if a cyclist who has a right of way, by the way, um, uh, is coming up uh, uh, in 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 that kind of you know the, the, the rear view mirror zone. Um, and also, Pete, the blind spot I, that they can't. The blind see spot, it. yes. Yeah, and Pete, yeah. I, I will be honest with you, I don't have a freaking clue how to solve that problem exactly. because <laughs> I run into it all the time. <laughs> and when I see that situation coming up, um, I get pretty scared. Yeah. And I am like, I am on like a thousand percent alert. 
yeah. there for and I'm trying to make eye contact and I'm like ringing my bell and I'm just like kind of, you know, uh, assuming assuming the worst, but also like trying to like just show assertiveness that I'm going, you know, at a, at a predictable and, and a predictable speed that will enter into the intersection all these things. Um, yeah, it's rough. So can I, I, can I, 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 I think we're kind of like circling the drain here of like one of these well, like, you know, fundamentally unsolvable problems because we in America as a society cannot really, you know, organize ourselves. Can I, can I throw in one other thing? There's one other angle on this. I know we're probably coming up on time, but I want to throw another angle into this Please. question. Something I don't understand. And in and this is after a bunch of cycling, right, is the idea that. It's just the idea that adult cycling as it is now, I understand, especially when you're talking about the 20th century, why a bicycle would be seen as child childish, um, because I, especially starting in the 1920s, there was really meaningful uh, social change that was made possible by the relative independence of children from their adults, from adults by being able to travel farther away from them in the course of a night, right? Like the idea that the sort of very, the modern reality of dating is a result of the automobile is something that I tend to seem like has a bit of credibility to it. And that's not to just lionize the automobile as a good thing because a lot of that is bad, right? It's like, maybe it's not a great idea that all the teenagers should just go off by themselves to some other town together and just do whatever they want with no like accountability or no oversight, right? And then like come back that night and w will it be fine? Maybe. I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe it's probably good that distance is a barrier to where people go. Maybe people of different ages should live together. Maybe adults should treat teenagers better. There's all sorts of questions. But the point being that, like, I can see why in the 20th century with, like, the spread of the automobile, the expense of it, the difficulty of getting it, right? Not a foregone conclusion that your family's even going to have one, right? And then, you okay, you get one. You get it at a certain age, Right. And then there's all these rituals that that are sort of grown up around it. I get it at that point. Right. I get why a bike is a thing for a child and a car is a thing for an adult up into uh, even even beyond just the industry marketing and lobbying and all that stuff. But the thing I don't get now is why biking or cycling isn't seen as a sporting activity for adults in much the same way as sports car driving. So I'm like. I mean, yeah. it is for like certain pockets of uh, of like, you know, the all the, the Silicon Valley bros, um, you know, will suit up in spandex and uh, you know and hit hit the trail. Well, but, but look at and all the ways like three thousand dollars undermining bikes. that while you're saying it, right? Like they're bros, but they're Silicon Valley bros. They're suiting up, but in spandex, like masculine but feminine, masculine but feminine, right? Like it's it's uh, they're it, men, it, but they're Europeans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, I should say they're not women. They're French. Right. Uh, <laughs> and again, and again, this is, of course, obviously, this is a gender binary. This is not necessarily the way you want to look at things. Um, but what what I'm really saying is when I got into cars, because that's something I haven't really talked about is like getting into cars, which I only did when I decided I needed to get a car because I was spending hundreds of dollars a month on travel, you know, uh, between myself and extended family members and trips were taking, you know, like 11, 12 hours. And it was just for a, something would be a three hour drive and I just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, and now that I have a kid and I live where I live, I need one. But that all notwithstanding, I got into cars and I realized that it's a big deal in cars to feel connected to the road because so many cars now are so isolated from the feeling of the road. It's a thing that, that car enthusiasts talk about a lot. So the idea that a current a modern day car has so much uh, suspension and technology and and the sort of design is so and engineering is so geared towards achieving a variety of different goals that are kind of obtuse to the person driving the car, opaque to the person driving the car. 
um, that there's a desire for a car that feels like driving. Um, and you know what feels a lot like driving is a bike, yeah. right? Yes. Like, and I would imagine like yeah. a motorcycle too, right? Like, um, so like the motorcycle to me feels like you're taking the bike and you're adding, you're adding a motor and <laughs> like, am I crazy? But the idea is you're adding the ability to do things in that sort of medium or longer range, especially when you're thinking about like the Honda super cub and the sort of affordable, reliable, cheaper motorcycles that really transformed mobility in the developing world and in Japan, uh, in, in a way that it didn't really in the United States, um, and and like you get these motors on your cycles and you can go faster going when I went to Spain, when I went to Barcelona, it's like everybody's on motorcycles and scooters. You know, the you, you listen to the bike activists and you assume everybody in Europe is bicycling everywhere. They're not. They're taking motorcycles and scooters. Um, at least they were in the cities I went to, which are not all of them. I didn't go to Amsterdam. I didn't go to Copenhagen. But uh, but like, oh, OK, I'm seeing a lot more motorcycles and scooters than I thought. And motorcycles are super masculine. Right. And like even to the point of being camp, but bikes are not seen as that. And bikes are hard, are harder. <laughs> they're more difficult, and they're made of metal. And then, and then, and so I'm, what I'm getting, what I'm thinking is like the world needs a canonical bike story. Like, well, not the world. The, if the United States really wants to get to this next level where we can bring bikes into this sort of new discussion, we need uh, maybe the Harold Bloom and me needs a like a sort of uh, strong misreading of car culture that will give us a new bike culture, because I don't have a frame of understanding for this. Like, I mean, I get the sort of um, the triathlete, right? Like I get the bicycle shorts. I get all that. But there still feels like. There's just some it maybe doesn't have to be so gendered. It is weird that it's such a male space, but we've talked about that already, like why there are confounding factors in the way that your lives are, are set up. You know, I don't know. I mean, can you guys envision any sort of cultural the, Is the e-bike really the solution, like giving a bike the capability of and distance of a motorcycle without giving it the noise? Not or quite. The fossil I mean, fuels? not quite the 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 distance, but. But yeah, the, I, it is, I actually have been really eyeing some e-bikes because it is, you know, uh, I, the Los Angeles is unlike other cities, but the, the problem of like the immediate neighborhood that's accessible by walking versus, you know, that, uh, versus the kind of the, the long distances, like going, you know, 120 miles to, to visit family or something like that. Like that, that I'm not going to do on a, on a bicycle. I'm probably not even going to do it on, on uh my motorcycle because it's not comfortable enough frankly but the the um the the kind of medium the medium trip like the the trip of let's say two to 15 miles uh you know and you could get you know you you could get all kinds of i think positive externalities by moving by moving more people to by moving more people to to uh that though you know i don't know by moving people to smaller you know less energy consuming uh easier to to plan for and do logistics around like parking spaces and things like this forms of transportation or maybe not maybe you'd get bangkok you know and that's mm. not that that's not necessarily the the or you know I don't know an an, an Italian street Wait. right like that's not what, what, necessarily what's where wrong we want Bangkok? to see that it's I mean the the streets are madness aren't they the the I 
I mean, the, I think of it, it's Italy, people going around traffic circles and like, just like, you're going to be in 20, uh, you're going to be in 20 revolutions of this, this circle because you can't manage to merge over to, to get, uh, to get out. I mean, maybe that's my, my, uh, chauvinistic view as an American looking at Europe and at, at, at Asia. Um, maybe I would understand the, the beautiful poetry of it. But when I, when I think of, of cultures that are like majority scooter or majority small, small motorcycle, I don't think of, uh, super orderly traffic though. You know, I, I could be totally wrong. I think it goes back to norms. I think you get used to it. <laughs> so here's I, I, spent, my I spent idea. a lot of time in Taiwan, which is one of those Taipei, which is one of those, um, those cities that has just like totally buzzing with, with, with scooters and um, it, it's it kind of intimidating and chaotic at first, but then you, you get used to it. You get used to it. Oh. So here's my idea. This is how we fix all of it. This will bridge the divide, right? Between the motorists and the cyclists at every intersection with a red light, right? Where you've determined that it's relatively okay if the cyclists who come to that red light, if there's nothing obviously coming, like there's no weird blind corner or five-way intersection or crazy turn or highway off-ramp or anything, it would be generally okay for the cyclists to take like an Idaho stop and keep going. What you do is you put a ramp there, and the cyclist does a boss trick off the ramp, and then like the cars guy, they'll be like, yeah, and they'll be like thumbs up, right? And everybody can high-five, and like then they can all – take their shirts off and play volleyball and just be men together, you know, and then we can all feel, uh, wait, what was I talking about? What's, what's going on? <laughs> Thanks very much for listening to the overthinking a podcast. Thanks to Mark and Pete for talking about transportation policy with me for a little while. Let's, uh, let's leave it there. We'll be back next week with more overthinking a podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinking com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.